You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. So we're currently in a series um, called Simple Faith. Um, it's a simple series, but it's deep, profound truth. Because in this series, we want to unpack some foundational, practical truths that shape the way we relate to God and shape the way we relate to, to others. And um, they're foundational truths that are pivotal in our walk with the Lord. And you know, sometimes for various different reasons, we have sort of, we can have gaps in our foundations or we can have things that we've heard, but we haven't actually applied. I think for a lot of believers, we have things that we've heard in church or we've heard in podcasts, but we're not actually doing. You know, in James, it says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers. Um, he says, he says to do the word, not just hear it, because if we don't do it, he actually says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says that we deceive ourselves. Sometimes we, we, uh, we like to blame the, the devil for our deception, um, and he is the deceiver, but also sometimes we deceive ourselves by not putting into practice some of the things that we hear in the word, the truth of who he is. And if we miss these things, we don't put them into practice, they leave gaps in our growth or our relationship with Jesus. So that's why we're doing this, this series. And uh, if you've been a believer for a long time and you go, well, this is stuff that I know, then let God speak to you because there's always truth that he wants to speak to you. If you go, well, I already know this, then let him challenge you to go deeper. Or maybe, uh, maybe think about how can I share this with others? What is God saying to me? Today, Because there's always a truth for us to take away. So the first week in this series, we asked this question, what is my relationship with the Bible? What is your relationship with the Bible? Is it the standard of truth? Is it the plumb line to which you measure your life? Is it the thing which shapes how we live and think? Are your thoughts, is the culture that, you're, that you live in defined by the Bible, the truth of God's word, or is it defined by something else? Am I, are, you, are we actually reading it? Are we asking questions of it? Are we studying it? But more importantly than all that, are we applying it to our lives? Then last week we asked this, the second question, what's my relationship with prayer? Are we a praying people? Do we spend time in relational prayer and in intimacy with the Father? Do we spend time, uh, do, do, we, do we lay hold of our authority in prayer? Do we travail in prayer until we see breakthrough? Or is it just sort of like a tick box on the religious chart of things that we should do? Because maybe if we do them, you know, God will somehow sprinkle fairy dust on us and we'll just become better people. We have this very, like, like often this very um, shallow idea of faith. But there's a power in some of these truths, in, in the word, in prayer, in travailing until there's breakthrough. In praying with groans that only the Spirit understands. Is prayer my first response or my last resort? This morning we want to look at this idea of simple obedience. I want to share a couple scriptures as we start. 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 says this. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the, the Lord? Behold... To obey is better than sacrifice. I think, can I be as bold as to say this morning on this lovely long weekend? You guys, you guys have to like smile today and be happy, even though some of these things might hurt. Don't get too serious. But can I say this? I think that there's some Christians 
who are making a lot of sacrifice with very little obedience. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And then he goes on to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit coming, the helper who will empower us, um, the, the spirit of truth to keep his commands. Jesus' love language is obedience. What does that mean? It's saying yes to him. It's saying yes to his ways. It's saying yes to his commands. We can't claim to love Jesus if we don't obey what he says. Can I say that again? Just in case it didn't, you didn't quite get it. We cannot claim that we love Jesus, that we live for him, that we seek his kingdom if we don't obey what he said. Because Jesus himself says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. John, I'm going to read two more scriptures. John 2, verse 3 to 6. Says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands, is a liar. Take it easy, John. And the truth is not in him. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this may we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's a heavy scripture. 1 John 5, verse three to, uh, 1 to 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we can keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. I love that. Maturity in Jesus, intimacy with Jesus, um, kingdom impact is just a series of saying yes to Jesus. It's a series of decisions to say yes to him. We have a couple with us for a few months um, because they're about to have a baby. Um, who are on a journey of saying yes to Jesus. That's why there's three chairs here. It wasn't just um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are going to have an interview. Um, and I want to interview them this morning and ask them some questions around this. So would you stand and welcome Taylor and Sylvia with me this morning as they come up? Thank you. You can be seated. Sorry, Scott. Wow. So these guys are about to have a baby. Um, like maybe today. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to preach this myself, just in case. Um, but they're back here from Arania for a few months for the baby, but I think also because God's got them here not for... Not for the baby. Not for the baby. No, for the the baby. baby is okay. They're back here for Jesus. <laughs> How are you guys doing? That's such, whoa, it's my <laughs> mic that's the problem. <laughs> Hello. No, you can, that's right, that'll adjust it. That's such a, 
open-ended, crazy question to ask. The, the simple answer is we feel like, I would say like Formula One drivers, like the G-force. That's the kind of acceleration process that we're on right now and have been for the last year and a bit. And people have been asking us, how is it back to be in Australia? How is it back to be back home? And it's like, home is wherever God is. It's not because God is everywhere, but where has God asked you to be? And right now God has asked us to be in Australia. So we haven't missed Australia because it was home. We haven't missed Romania because it was home. We missed it because of what God was doing there and what God is doing here. So right here, God is here with us because he asked us to be here. And so we are home because we're here. That's and beautiful. so we're waiting for the pause, but the pause is never going to come. It's just this crazy acceleration. And so <laughs> faster and faster. Let's go. And then like, everyone knows life gets easier after the third kid. Um, so... Right. Yeah. There's a few yeah, here so. who have four, so you can ask them that. <laughs> Are you done at three, or are you going to have four or five or six? Whatever. Obedience. Simple yeses. We're actually well, Catholic. Depends on what God says. You know one thing leads to the other, though. So just... Uh, intimacy. Um, intimacy with the... Okay, that's, that's not our topic this morning. But it is true. So kingdom impact, maturity, um, intimacy with Jesus if we break it down to simplicity, is, is a series of saying yes to him. That simple obedience is just a series of choices to say yes. And whether it's in our personal lives or our families or our workplaces or, you know, to the ends of the earth, um, you don't end up moving to Romania, you know, by just one day waking up and going, that's it, we're going to go. It's just like it's, there's a series of I guess, of saying yes, and actually God teaching us what that looks like. Um, for you guys, and you can kind of go wherever you want with these questions, um, as you know, <laughs> and I, I'm sure as you will, um, but what's been, been the biggest challenge to simple obedience for you? I think the, the hardest part of obedience is giving the entirety of yourself. Um, part, I was saying this just the other day, that part disobedience is still those disobedience. It's this, you know the right thing, but you give just a portion. It's like, when people talk about tithes, I don't remember who said it, but it's just like, I'd rather have 90% of what God is blessed than 100% of what I'm blessing. But... Tithe is just a small, small part. Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, that's a saying that sometimes loses its meaning in today's church, because we've, especially those who've been in church a long time, it just loses its meaning. But what that means is, pick up your cross, prepare to die. And it's every day you die. When, when the, the rich young ruler, came, the rich young man came to Christ and said, I keep the law, I keep the commandments, what, do I, what must I have to have eternal life? He said, give away everything you have and follow me. And the man went away sad because he was very rich. But it's not just about money because other followers came up to him and said, hey, we're coming to follow you. And he said, leave everything and follow me. And he says, no, let me say goodbye to my mother and father. And he was like, honestly, I tell you that if you do not hate your mother and father, 
you cannot be my disciple. He's not saying to hate your mother and father because hating is like murder, but it's in comparison to the desire to obey me, everything else must become nothing. Must the world, the logic of the world must be, and that's the hardest thing. It's so illogical. It's so illogical. Wisdom goes out the door. Wisdom of the world goes out the door. And so the hardest thing is going, nothing that I have is worth anything to the Lord, but he asked for my obedience. And obedience is not just the physical things. I think... We tend to think that obedience is like a series of acts and it's doing. Obedience, true obedience can only come in abiding. And when we learn to abide in Jesus, when we learn to abide in the vine, obedience isn't even really a thought because where the vine goes and where Jesus goes, that's where we go. And I think we often, like the Lord has been speaking a lot to his bride recently about repenting and turning back to him. And he's been doing away with the altars to other gods in his temple and we are his temple. And he's doing away with the altars that we've placed in our hearts. But in Isaiah 30, verse 15, the Lord is speaking to Israel. And he says to her, Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Only in repentance... And resting will your salvation be found. The NIV puts it so beautifully. Um, oh, I haven't got it here. But in repentance and rest is your salvation. And then he goes on to say, in quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it. And that breaks his heart. He's telling us in repentance and rest is our salvation. Sometimes we do get the repenting right because we're used to the doing. (laughs) But learning to rest, our salvation is in our rest. Our salvation is in our abiding. Just like Jesus said to Martha that Mary has found the one thing. And that is to remain at his feet. And I think we as a church often talk about the fact that, oh, but like if I meditate too much on Jesus, then I'm going to become lazy and I'm not going to do. You can't do that. You can't. Because when you're at the feet of Jesus, when Jesus stands, you stand. When Jesus leaves the room, you leave the room. Because you're learning what it is to posture yourself in the vine. And that is true obedience. It's learning to rest in him.
we could probably stop right there, honestly. Because the heart, I love it. The, the heart issue of obedience is abiding in his presence. Otherwise, obedience is a mask of just doing what I want to do. And something else is that we can't rely on the obedience of yesterday. It, when we, just because we moved to Romania doesn't mean we're done. Come on. Just because we're planting a church doesn't mean we're done. Just because you've done one great act of obedience doesn't mean you're done. In when, when God was providing for the Israelites in the desert, he gave them daily manna. And he said, don't store this up. And the next day it was moldy and they couldn't eat it. Jesus says that my sustenance comes from doing the will of my Father. My sustenance, my food, my manna comes from doing the will of my Father. You can't store up manna from yesterday. You can't take your axe from today and build up a cupboard full of it. Each new day, your sustenance comes from doing the will of the Father. And a very wise man in our family said yesterday, knowing the will of the Father presupposes a relationship. Yeah. How can you know the voice of someone who you don't know? How can you obey someone that you don't know? And that's where it comes from abiding. And like, as, as you were just reading, I know it's a psalm that we say all the time, but sometimes the things that become the everyday lose their power, and we never want the Word of God to lose its power because it becomes normal. Because in Psalm 91, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide. There's dwelling and abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust... Later, it says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. It's not just about the physical act of doing things. It's about the resting and staying in that presence and learning the voice of your Father and by obeying you will have your sustenance. I love that even last week when we were talking about prayer, we looked at the scripture in Matthew 6, verse 9 to 11, where um, the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. And he says, you pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. And it speaks to that thing of, you know, it's, it's a daily relationship of intimacy, of hearing his voice. Um, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, the ultimate goal for which he came to earth, um, the Bible says in Luke 22, it says he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed. I mean, this is Jesus praying. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
And it says, And then there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So it's an amazing passage on prayer, but it's also an amazing picture of a surrendered will. Um, it just struck me if we're going to be a people of simple obedience, of abiding, there's a daily surrendering of our, of our will and our desires and laying ourselves on the altar. Like you said, that it's, it's this thing of what is it in my life that I need to lay on the altar again? It, it says later in the New Testament about this very moment that yeah. Jesus himself learned obedience through suffering. If mm. Jesus has to learn obedience through sacrifice and suffering, why do we expect that there is no cost to us? We, want, yeah, we, we think that God wants us to be comfortable. Like you, we were praying earlier, it's like God... Make us uncomfortable for what makes, what breaks your heart. Break our heart for what breaks yours. But if we're talking about, about this, we don't expect suffering, where it's a promise. Yeah. I was talking to the Sills yesterday. It's like the, the earth mimics the fruits of the Spirit about how people say we've got peace or they've got joy or they've got patience. But it's like if you are in a world that is not turbulent... You don't need peace. You can say you've got it. Wow. It can be apathy mimics itself as peace very, very easily. Wow. You can't say that you have joy unless you're in a situation where there is no cause for joy. You cannot have patience wow. unless there is a situation where you are required to have patience. And that is where the spirit comes through. Very it says good. that the body is weak, but the spirit is willing. That's why... When we read the Bible, we go, oh, these people see Jesus praying and he's crying blood and these guys couldn't stay up for an hour? You couldn't stay up for an hour. I couldn't stay up for an hour. Jesus says this, the body is weak, the spirit is willing. That's what the fruit of the spirit is. The, pro the promise is through suffering, we will learn obedience. Through intimacy with the Father, the spirit gives his fruit. By abiding in, him, by abiding in the vine, the fruit comes. It's not material comfort. It's supernatural provision. Can I ask a question? Let's go with abiding. Um, how have you learned over the last year or grown in abiding in him? Because, I mean, it's, such, it's, it's like the, the seed of this thing of obedience. Um, but you've obviously, you're on a journey. You've moved nations. And can I say for all of us as well, uh, some of you might end up in the nations, but this truth is for every day. It might be for your, your workplace or your family or just your walk with Jesus. So this isn't like a, you know, th these are the steps to someday move overseas. This is the steps to following Jesus, um, to becoming more like him. And so, you know, he might say go, but he might say stay. Um, for these guys, the, you know, the picture is, is that he said go. Um, and they've been on this journey of learning. And we get the privilege as a church of partnering with them and praying for them and having sent them. Um, but for you, it might look different. And so don't kind of switch off and go, well, that's their story and that's great because they've had to go overseas. God's speaking to us today. But in the last year of your journey, because I know there's been all sorts of fun and adventure and um, 
ups and downs <laughs> and hardship and how has he taught you to abide? I think it's a daily, it's a daily surrender, a moment by moment of not just choosing what you put on the altar, which is sacrifice, just sacrificing what you want, but it's choosing to live on the altar. And when you choose to live on the altar, it's very different than going, oh, God, I give you my finances, or Lord, I give you this part of my life. It's going, no, <laughs> you gave me all, so I will give you all. And then the burning takes place, and that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I think for us, when we first arrived in Romania, um, we were... Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to get there in a roundabout way. So I thought I had a heart for we the Romanian people. <laughs> and God bless any Romanian that listens to this. I thought I had a heart for Romania. Um, and in part, I did. I had felt God's heartbeat for Romania, and that it was that compassion that moved us there. Because when you see something that moves you to compassion, it's very often the Holy Spirit um, giving you a grace to walk in that. Um, because in the command is the empowerment. <laughs> um, in the compassion is the empowerment. And when we got to Romania, I was like, oh my goodness, I don't like it here. <laughs> I was like, I don't like the smells. I don't like the Eastern European grimaces everywhere I go. Um, I am not used to the cold. Uh, we got there in December. Um, and Melbourne's pretty wind windy, but doesn't have snow. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of practical things that made me uncomfortable. Um, and the Holy Spirit is so precious. He just came alongside me and was like, you can't stay here and long for the things of Australia. Um, because, yes, there's things in Australia that are, there's manifestations of the kingdom, of kingdom culture here in Australia. And there's manifestations of kingdom culture in Romania. I had to make sure I wasn't longing for Australian culture because we are not part of this world. We are part of the heavenly kingdom. And the Holy Spirit so beautifully kept bringing me back into alignment and saying, no, what you long to see is my kingdom here on earth and what does my kingdom here in Romania look like? And so I would go on a walk every morning and I'd be like, Lord, give me a heart for these people because if I'm here stubbornly um, ministering, I start to do and I'm not abiding and I'm not being and I had to learn how to be. I had to catch his heart. I had to catch his heart for the people of Romania. And then I went from being frustrated, trying not to make eye contact, because people there are not scared to stare you down, and it makes you feel like you've done so many things wrong when you haven't. They just like, they just, um, but once you break through that, <laughs> they are the most beautiful people that welcome you into their homes. They do a much better job than we do actually here in Australia. Anything and everything they have, they will offer to you. Um, kingdom culture. Yeah, kingdom culture, that's right. And there's this constant um, heart positioning of what is kingdom culture and what do they have of your kingdom, Lord, and what do you want to see here of your kingdom breakout? Um, and then I, as I was going on my walk, I was just moved to compassion and I'd literally look at people and burst into tears because his heart, I felt his heart for them. And I think that's what it is to abide. It's like 
It's this surrender of your will. And then you get his heart and then it moves you. And then you have to choose to remain there. And I remember for the first few months while we were in Romania, like the Lord just kept asking me, us, like, am I enough for you? Because, you know, you can kind of get into your head and be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, look at me. Like, I left everything and I moved to another country. Um, And then it's kind of like the Bible talks about sometimes even our righteous deeds being like menstrual rags that you lift up before the Lord. And you're like, hey, check this out. Look at what I did for you. And we have to be so careful. Um, And the Lord was just kept asking us, like, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? If I called you to this country to keep you in this apartment and have you just minister to me, is that enough for you? And in the beginning, it was a bit of a, it was uncomfortable and it was a bit of a wrestle because you, it's pride. We mask it as, you know, self-sacrifice. I came here to serve you, Lord, but it's actually pride. Um, And the Lord was undoing that and is still undoing that because if he calls you for the rest of your life to be locked in a room and just sit at his feet because he's not getting up from that place, is that enough for you? Is that enough for us? Because everything we have to do comes secondary to ministering to him. It's not about what we do. Like we are called a priesthood of believers and the role of the priest is to minister to the king. And we have to position ourselves at his feet. And it was, it turned from a bit of a wrestle to, I don't think I ever want to leave this apartment. (laughs) I just want to stay here. But then he got up, so I had to get up. (laughs) And so, yeah, I don't know if that roundabout answers your question, like... It's just constantly coming back to his feet, coming back. Where are you? Where are you in the room? Um, where are you? Because that's where I need to be. Practically, I think, I think the posture of your heart is very important. Yeah. Um, the, like, practically, we are a, a doing family. We do a lot of things. We always have. Yeah. And so that's what he asked for us to put on the altar. So if I asked you to stop doing things for me and just be with me, mm. is that enough? And so when we, I was talking with um, a friend who's like caught this heart like in the last year and he's just, he's so on fire and he's like, and his identity has always been a Christian, Christian businessman. He goes to Christian business conferences. He's trying to invest and grow money for the kingdom for the future and use all that money to pour out the kingdom. So he's always had that heart but God in this last year has challenged him and he said, if I asked you to sell it all and become a janitor for the rest of your life, would you? Because his identity was in that he was giving. He was working for the kingdom. He was doing. And God said, if I told you to become a janitor and no longer have that prestige, Mm. not that that was bad, but it was not the praise or sacrifice that he had asked for. With the prayer, with the, the scripture that you read out about saying to sacrifice, to, to obey is better to sacrifice, Saul had followed the rules, most of them. This is where partial disobedience is still is the worst kind of obedience. He had followed the process to sacrifice all the animals on the, all the altars before the Lord, 
but he had done it without a, he had done it without the covering of the priest. So it was partial disobedience, partial sacrifice. That was, sorry, it was full sacrifice, but partial, but partial disobedience, which is why I said to obey and wait for Samuel to arrive is better. But later he says, later in the New Testament, it goes, our praises are like clashing symbols. It's like we can praise him whatever way that we want to, but if, not, if it is not the way that he has desired to it, there's no point. It's worse. It's so much worse. So we can go, I'm working for the kingdom. No. You're working for you using the kingdom as an excuse. Um, and it's not just about work. It's not just about money. The wisdom of the world, I was talking to Matt about this. There's no correlation with the wisdom of this world. Yeah. It's almost in an inverse correlation. If it makes sense to the world, it won't make sense in the kingdom. Yeah. And we often use earthly wisdom to justify things and throw Jesus on top. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that lightly because there are so many things that God has built and ordained, like family. Family is beautiful and marriage is beautiful and ordained by God. But if that becomes your idol and you elevate the health and the substance of your family above your relationship with Christ, you've made an idol and family becomes your God. If health is from the Lord, he created a perfect world, a perfectly healthy world. But if you put your health above the Lord... If you're caring about organic this, fitness this, fitness that, and it becomes your idol because it is secondary, it is primary to relationship with God, you have twisted what God has made and intended and made it your God. And so the positioning is very important. Going, and I think I think it's important now whether it's here or in the car or at home, go into your secret place. If you don't have one, make one curtain, door, car, doesn't matter. Just sit there before the Lord and just go, God, what is there that I have actually made an idol that I have put above you? It can be good things like health, family, pro- providing, but what the, when you're looking to those things, you're saying that you do not trust God, that they are more important to you to follow wisdom, going, God wants me to be healthy, God wants my family to be together and whole. True, true, true. But the method of getting that is so much more important. The ends do not justify the means. And it's the means that God is after. It's the heart, isn't it? It's amazing. I think if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Is Jesus enough? If you, if you don't get anything else, and there's so much depth in, in this today, but get that and go ask in prayer, is Jesus enough? Or is it Jesus plus something else? It's Jesus plus my family. It's Jesus plus my kids. It's Jesus plus my finances or a platform or a ministry. And we're so used to in our Western Christian culture the mark of success being a a name or a brand or a ministry or a platform in the kingdom. But actually, and I I, want to prophesy this, but it's not a new thing. I I think there's a season coming again 
or it's a nameless, faceless people, that you have a platform. It's in your workplace. It's in your school. It's on the street. Um, you know, don't wait for this platform if you're not willing to stand on that platform. Because this platform is no, there's no better. It's no different. If we think this is the, the ultimate or, you know, planting a church in Romania, now we have some sort of, we've climbed the, the pyramid of kingdom importance. We've totally missed the heart of the kingdom. Um, and for us, you have a platform. But the question is the heart. Something that God has been really asking me or like revealing to me. Because sometimes you just go to the Word and suddenly it's just like you've never read it before. And it's fantastic. But I was reading about the role of the deacon in the church. That's what happens when you have to read the Bible in a different language, yeah? Yes, it does. <laughs> That's been very helpful. I read slower. Um, but the role of the deacon, if we look at the first seven deacons that were first ordained in Acts, their role was to feed and look after the widows and the orphans. They had a very clear mandate. Mm. But amongst these two were Philip and Stephen. And we more know the story of Stephen. Stephen was martyred. He was not martyred for feeding and clothing the widows and orphans. He was martyred for sharing the gospel. We often think our service or the things that we do in the name of the kingdom are our job, our mandate. It's not. Our mandate was to go and shed the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yeah. We cannot just, this is, again, this is the partial disobedience thing. He goes, we cannot overemphasize the fact that the gospel is our mandate, not the everything else. The everything else comes from knowing the gospel and abiding. And it's, it's just this revelation where it's like our role has not changed for 2,000 years, yet we keep on finding more and more ways to avoid it. Wow. Wow. Let me ask you a, a, a sort of semi-unrelated question, but what's, what's next for you when you go back to Romania? Um, it's part of this, you know, as we're partnering with you, um, I know you guys are in the process of planting a church resting place, um, God's gathering people. What's next for you when you get back? Resting <laughs> with a newborn, abiding, abiding that's all right. Um, I think, yeah, so this year, out of the place of abiding and continuing to abide, the Lord has um, birthed something, um, and that's cool. We've named it, we felt like the Lord named it Resting Place Europe, um, and it's the place that he wants to birth his church out of, um, the dwelling place, the secret place, intimacy, ministering to him. And so when we go back, um, we feel like that's what the Lord is calling us into and asking us to step into. Now, we have no theological training other than that of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, and we haven't been to any Bible college. I'm not saying Bible college is bad. I'm just saying you don't get to pick what food the Lord gives you to eat. Just like when he asked Ezekiel to eat the message that he wanted him to go out and give to the people. Like you don't get to pick the food the Father gives you. And this is what he is giving us and asking us to digest. 
um, and asking us to learn what it means to abide and rest in him because that is what he is calling us to walk in. First, we have to eat it and digest it, then we walk in it. You can't walk in it if you haven't fed yourself off of it first. Um, And so when we go back, um, we're going to church plant, but I don't think, we don't feel like it's going to look like um, your typical church plant. The Lord spoke to us very clearly from the Old Testament about the seventh year of rest that he called the Jews to give the land. Um, And in that seventh year of rest, where they were not to plant crops, they were only to harvest what the land brought forth. Um, They weren't to hold on to it. They were to feed themselves and their families. Um, And then after the land had the rest, then they were again to plant. Um, And that's actually a very good principle (laughs) for looking after the land and letting the land re-nourish itself. But the Lord spoke to us clearly about the church plant coming out of that seventh year of rest. Um, And as we learn, it doesn't mean we don't do. It means we abide. We abide in him. We see what the land is producing, what people who have gone before us have planted and what the land is producing. We feed ourselves off of that and then then we move forward in it. Um, And it's actually... So beautiful because the Lord is showing us that's going to reveal a lot of the health of the land. Um, And it's going to show us the places that the soil is requiring certain nutrients. So out of this place of resting, which we will continue to do, we will then know what to plant and what to sow. Um, That we may never actually end up reaping. Um, That others who come after us may end up reaping. Um, but so dwelling pla- uh, resting place Europe is going to be birthed out of this Sabbath year of rest. Um, and then when the Lord asks you to do something like that, as I said, and you're digesting it, it makes you, when you go on a new diet or you change your lifestyle, like sometimes you tend to get quite sick in the beginning um, because your body is realigning itself um, and there's a lot of toxins and things that are being purified. So that's the process we're going through at the moment. Like if you're going to plant something called resting place, then as you digest the resting place yourself, there's a lot of really ugly stuff that starts to come up out of that. I'm sure. How can we, uh, apart from what you just shared, is there any specifics that we can be praying for you guys in the next few months? I mean, you're here for a little while still, but um, yeah. Um, Last night, we were talking specifically about the prayer life of Daniel. And Daniel is one of the, like Jesus, to have no sin recorded against him in the, in the book, in the Bible. And yet every day he prayed and he included himself in the prayers where he went to repent for the people of Israel and to intercede for them and him even though him personally didn't, he didn't have anything to repent of in that space. And so for us, when we pray together and separately, our heart is that we pray and petition for the bride, the bride here in Australia and the bride in Romania. And so when you're praying for us, there are things like 
provision and there are things like health and there are the logical, practical things to ask for prayer for and they are important. But right now, if you are going to pray for resting place Europe or for us, please include yourselves in those prayers and this church in those prayers and go, Father, help purify your bride. Soften her heart. Open her eyes. Purify us before you. Make it clear where there are idols in our lives. Make it clear where we have elevated things to the position of God. Forgive us for when we have not obeyed, where we have not abided in you. Help me to abide. Help me to stay in your presence and know your voice. And give me the strength to obey in all things. Makes you look at the world. Something about learning a new language makes you look at the world very differently. But one thing that has stuck with me very big, in Romanian, there is no separate word for listening and obeying. It's just one word, asculta. And it's, it basically just means you listen, and when you listen, you do. And if you don't listen, you're just hearing. It's just noise. When we're in the presence of the Lord, we are not to hear. We are to listen and do. What's the word? Asculta. Ascultare is the verb. I wasn't going to, I was going to try and say it, but I'm not going to try and say it, but it's a good word. I'd love us to pray for these guys. I hope that in having them up here and kind of having them share some of the heart around obedience and the journey that for all of us, we've grabbed hold of what God's saying to us and you know, I don't know if you guys just realized, I asked Taylor what we could pray for them, and he just prayed for us. Um, and that should be our heart's response. Our heart's cry is, he's worthy of it all. I mean, that's, when we're talking about simple obedience, if he's not worthy of it all, then we're not going to be people who say yes to everything. But when he's worthy of it all, whatever he asks. We don't find our identity in the doing. We find our identity in his presence. I know there's been a lot of tears and a lot of somber conversation today. But if there's one thing I want to leave you with is that the joy on the other side of obedience is so overwhelming. And it's not the earth's apathy. It's the spirit's joy. And there it is incredible just by stepping out, obeying, sitting, abiding, and going. We were, we were driving, just driving a couple, of months, a couple of months ago. It was 35 degrees out. Our car's aircon had stopped working because it's, it's an absolute bomb. The windows were locked up, and we were just driving some food to someone's house. In earthly terms, it's the worst kind of situation it's a sauna that's completely unplanned. And, 
And on paper, you're furthest away from your family that you've ever known. You're, you don't have money coming in. The air conditioning is hot. You are sweating through all of your clothes. But I went, oh my goodness, I am the most joyful I have ever been. It doesn't make sense. Just sit in his presence. Not for the joy, but the joy comes in the morning. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.